Welcome to the Stargate Archives, buried deep within Cheyenne Mountain. Good evening, good afternoon and welcome to this episode of the Stargate Archives. The show that took over from the Gatecast and we're going to continue looking at Stargate for as long as we find it interesting. And that could be a long, long while. You're with me on that, aren't you Brad? I certainly am. <laughs> Excellent. How are you? Good, good Mike. How are you? Not too bad. This episode folks, we are going to be looking at Thor's Hammer. One of the early episodes that really started to create the mythology. Certainly did. We get a lot of stuff here at the gate. Some interesting things at the start here that we'll get to in a minute. I wonder how this would have looked in a post-Avengers world. Ah, yes. (laughs) (laughs) They probably got away with a lot prior to Thor and Asgard becoming more mainstream. Yeah, because there's just those sort of points in time where like a movie comes out and there's a big hit and the way we look at certain things changes. Like a big one's Jurassic Park before then. Dinosaurs walked around with their tails on the ground, standing upright. Yeah. Until they were completely redesigned and sort of looked at a lot more seriously. And now, but here we have a big bearded Viking. It's different. Yeah. Or not, depending upon your point of view. Before we start, I'll say this right at the front. Can we add Alan on the show? He looked at a Stargate Atlantis episode midway. We're back to our regular look through Stargate. If you want to join me on the podcast, though, if you want to join us on early SG-1, fantastic. I'd like to look at a particular episode of Stargate through the entire 17 seasons. Just as good. Drop us a line, let me know, and we'll sort something out. Yep, easy to do. I come on board at season 7, so we've got a long way to go. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Looking at the episodes you haven't done before. <laughs> uh, 1 through 110. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Yeah. Right then, Thor's Hammer. The episode starts with the MGM Lion and opens up on uh, Cheyenne Mountain in the SGC. A little chat from Daniel. He's got a new theory. God bless him. I love the General's introduction. Like The first thing I hear, Dr. Jackson, I hear you've discovered a new theory about the Stargate. Yeah. <laughs> it just seems so ADR'd. Discovered a new theory. Strange choice of words, really, isn't it? Yeah. You know, you have a theory. Yeah, and Daniel's just like, what, me? <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, you read the reports. Yeah. <laughs> no one got that memo. <laughs> Jack suddenly comes really depressed because he thought he'd have a nice easy day. Yeah. Yeah, Daniel proposes the theory that there are, we know there are gods or races that masquerade as gods. You know, like on the dark side of these things who enslave humanity, uh, exploit it. Daniel actually believes that there might be two versions again other races taking the form of earth's gods but helping mankind you know providing assistance protection pretty smart daniel but can we get the timeline here shouldn't it be some good god from around ancient egypt it's like the newest we haven't got the demons in that yet so we don't know about the christians that are out there but weren't the vikings sort of later a lot later like 1400 you would have thought so yeah okay well let's face it the the discovery of the gate and the dating of it to, was it 10,000 BC or something? Yeah. Well beyond anything that ever considered the Egyptian culture to be kind of screwed up everything. Yeah, at this point we haven't seen any stolen culture from much beyond 
ancient Egypt. So there's been stuff from other civilizations around that time, but even with the second gate active, that would have got frozen over, I'd imagine, long before the Vikings come along. So, well, this just proves how insightful Daniel is. Yeah, the, <laughs> the power of foresight. Yeah. He knows they got ships and they just come by a ship. They didn't use the stargate to travel. <laughs> Comes up with the word Ettins and Thor, and Tilk chimes up. Yes, Tilk. More of that long lost information. <laughs> Brilliant. I recognise that symbol. I recognise that name. Yeah. <laughs> the world of Samaria, forbidden world. Every Jafar is taught its address, so they don't go there. So <laughs> He says no Gould is permitted to go there. You'd think, well, no, no Jafar would be permitted to go there. And the Gould, they could go there, but they know what's going to happen if they do. I'm sure that information spread amongst them, but just not the Jafar. Yeah, that's almost like saying that there are people above the Gould who are enforcing these sorts of restrictions. Mm. To the Jafar on the ground, it's just that we've been told never to go here by our God. And that's good enough for us. Yeah pinned up on the uh, Jafar message board somewhere. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what that looks like. We haven't yeah. really seen much communication apart from the Volpu, but Do you recognize this symbol? If so, ring this number. <laughs> and the hammer. Yeah. Of course, SG1. Uh, let's go and visit it then. What could possibly go wrong? Hey, Tilk. Why have yeah, can you elaborate why have you been forbidden to go there? It would be it probably would be useful to send a team without a, a, a Jafar along or a map. Well, they do send a malp. Oh, do they? Yes. The next scene is at the gate. A malp is on the ramp. Oh, I should say the malp is on the ramp. Oh, I thought it was just Fred. Yeah, I do believe we see the malp the other side of the gate as well. Okay, because I remember seeing Fred there. This is when Daniel gets the Sagan Institute box delivered. Jack's like, what the hell is this? Turns it over his hands like... And then yeah. Daniel's all excited. Oh, great, it's here. Yeah, I, I may do with a $1 box of tissues to communicate with you. Why do you need this? Which probably costs thousands and thousands of dollars. Yeah, they got the Axis Sagan Institute, what they put in a greeting if they had to meet an alien culture, and I'd just love to know what's in that box. Yeah. I assume it could be opened. You'd think so. Probably it'd be interesting. What would you... I mean, we look at time capsules. What would the world be like in 25 years, eh, kids? Put what you're yeah. thinking here, and then you open it up and it's a Rubik's Cube, it's a, you know, oh, a, well. a very basic electronic game, and you think, well, really, not much has changed, really. Yeah. I mean, what could you put in there that would describe humanity? You can put printed literature or anything like that, or what sort of data stories would another race be able to exploit? Again, you'd really have to keep it very basic. Look at what the what they did on Tormented Tantalus to make sure everybody could communicate. Yeah. Well, that's it. No English. So there'd be no writings whatsoever. No storage, no CDs. or. <laughs> at least they didn't put the address of the planet on it. Yeah, good point. <laughs> I mean, we've got Voyager going out there with the map of our star system. We had Enterprise and Captain Archer telling everybody he met where the Earth was. <laughs> yes, I know our ship isn't as powerful as yours, but there's our homeworld. Yeah, but then we only we only find out sort of in later episodes that it's got a unique radiation or isotope in it that they can pick up when it hits the iris. So, although we never see him explain to anyone he gives it to, if you want to contact us for up through the gate, we'll know it's you. Yeah, it's a leap, isn't it, that people would think, well, if we... If we don't want it, we're going to throw it through the gate. Do you have it back? And we're <laughs> yeah. like, oh, they want to talk. And then we go down and end up in a war because they didn't want to meet us, but we wanted to meet them. Pretty much of a bodge job. You know, Daniel probably thought, we need something to hand out, like a business card. Yeah. Hopefully that's something that the the Gold or the Jafar wouldn't take much notice of. Something like no energy signature, something that's very small, basic. We'll see how it works out, because... We don't really know yet if we're watching this for the first time. 
Yeah, true. <laughs> right, Jack, time to go to work, so he's all set. They go through the gate to Samaria. There's a pan of the huge obelisk, which does look rather physically impressive. Mm. It doesn't look like it's a papier-mâché fiberglass. <laughs> I probably think it is, but it does look like stone. Yeah, it's got some nice carvings on it too. Yeah. Big lightning bolt with the uh, serpent going down it. Luckily, some natives are walking right past the gate. You'd think they'd have a path, especially for the wagon that bypassed this rather rough area. They got this wagon beside the gate in a pit. Yeah. And there's six people pushing an empty wagon. <laughs> you think, well, why didn't you just go around the side? Yeah. <laughs> there's a clear pathway going around the side, and there's nothing that they would have emptied out of the wagon at the gate. But um, now, again, very, very stereotypical Viking <laughs> garb here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Even in the laugh, like just the deep voices as they all start pointing and laughing at SG1 as the, the hammer powers up. I was surprised that they got thrown out the gate. Yeah, we haven't seen that for a while. Yeah, that seems strange. Like the first thing, is that something to be clear with this gate? You know, to catch the people that are exiting it, you know, a little bit off balance. Have yeah. the uh, Asgard done something to it? Or are we just a bit further away than what we normally are? So not used to coming out that quick again. <laughs> they they start pointing and laughing. Thor, Thor, Thor. <laughs> All they need is a big mug of ale. Yeah. I'm rather disappointed how long it takes the device to work, though. Yeah, and then there's that whole building up charge sound. It's like, yeah, we know that's bad. Yeah, you could slam energy bolts into the base of that obelisk for a good minute before it actually yeah. fires at you. You know, slap some C4 on it, boom, job done. But yeah, you know exactly what it does. You come through and get to work straight away. Probably should be scanning you as soon as you exit the uh, event horizon. Give nobody any time to uh, escape. Because if somebody managed to leave through the gate, they'd have intelligence of what's the other side, and eventually they might come back better equipped. Yeah. As we know, there are certain vehicles that can travel through a Stargate. Slam one them through, just ram it. Well, one would ram it if they come through. Yeah, they wouldn't have time to pull up. No. <laughs> the general could go, yeehaw, and be dead. The next Yeehaw, <laughs> explode. <laughs> Uh, looks like we need a new general. All right, then jump to the credits. Back on Sumeria, a woman on horseback approaches the gate, minus Tilk and Jack. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Daniel thinks they're dead. She looks up, hey, you're a little short for gods, which is not surprising if they are used to seeing Thor as we see him later in the episode. Obviously, this is a culture that are not used to having visitors beyond the manifestation of the Asgard. Although she's pretty quick to invite him back to her place, back to the table. Well, like you say, the menfolk are gone a Viking. <laughs> gone for a, a few drinks and get into trouble. Well, I love that. It's like she says, oh, and we're going to get a lot of Viking terms in this in this episode <laughs> for no reason whatsoever. But yeah, Daniel explains raping, pillaging, whatever else for one of the words. And <laughs> yeah, she's yeah. no, that, that was the old days. Now we just go to the pub and drink. <laughs> There's no work. Yeah, you think about it. The Asgard would go, look, we're protecting this planet. And your menfo go off and raid the other villages and rape the women and kidnap them. We can't be having this. But not only that, can you see Thor or one of the other Asgard coming down, I'm guessing disguised as one of these giant Vikings and just teaching them how to drink ale and... Yeah. <laughs> like, it had to have come from somewhere. Like, yeah, Mighty Thor, raise your steins to the, to the sky. Like Perhaps Loki would. Yeah. The basic Asgard, probably not into this sort of thing. Maybe they have a taste for hot beer. You never know. Ah, you never know. Daniel does clear things up. He, they're from Midgard. 
Gerwin, who is played by Tamsin Kelsey. She recognises the name. It all kind of fits in now. And she recognises human. She says they're human. Yeah, which does un- pretty much underline the fact that, I mean, it, we were always a little bit sceptical. You know, the people in Abydos were taken from Egypt. You go, okay, fair enough. But they really had no solid memories of the fact she knows of Earth. Her people probably came from there. Because they'd be writing, we don't see it, but I'm sure, I'd assume there'd be writings, there'd be a scholar or something amongst the tribes or something keeping documents anyway. Yeah, I'd be rather annoyed the fact that there aren't any fjords nearby. Yeah. That kind of seems to be the Viking trait. Long boats, a fjord, nice cold climate. It seems more like Vancouver, yeah. <laughs> which is probably uh, absent many a fjord. Well, that, yeah, that's it. Here they are up in the mountains. like a, It's a fish out of water, really. Yeah. The next scene, we're in a very dark cavern. Jack and Tilk are prone on the floor. Jack starts to wake up before Tilk, which is a bit unusual. But then again, mm. if this weapon was aimed at Tilk, he probably felt the, the brunt of it, more so than Jack. Yeah, but then Jack jumped in front of it too, which makes you wonder when, he, when they were getting scanned. Could you just step in front of him? Although he's a big dude. But <laughs> yeah. Could you hide or mask someone else's signature by being in front of it yourself? But I think it's underlined the fact that Tilt falls Junior out of his Junior pokes his head out of his pouch. Obviously, the symbiote it's in pain more so than Tilt. So what Tilt is feeling is probably kind of the hangover of uh, the symbiote's mm. pain. That's why Jack woke up first. He's only got the trauma of dematerialization and landing on the cold cave floor. Yeah, well, I was surprised there wasn't a comment from him. Oh, that was a fun night or something like that. <laughs> Last time I woke up in a cave, I was wearing a, you know, <laughs> there's always a story there somewhere. Yeah, yeah. And this is where we get the hologram. Impressive looking Viking, played by Mark Gibbon, who later appears in uh, four episodes of SG1 and an episode of Atlantis. He has different characters. Mazel, one of the Jafar. Yeah. And a constable in Atlantis. Well built, tall guy. Very classic Viking outfit, although probably a little too good to be doing the raping and pillaging. <laughs> it looks like his only best. Yeah, and that sort of comes back to the Marvel thing again, because you've got this big tall Viking, then this itty-bitty hammer. I'm yeah. used, to, used to seeing the big Mjolnir, <laughs> but anyway. But like I say, it's, at this point, I mean, we're well aware that, I say, aren't we? It's, it's always trying to figure out what you thought when you first watched the episode. Yeah. No, it's not until Force Chariot before we actually we know the Asgard, but we don't we don't know what they look like. Yeah, the the funny thing is how long it took them to realise it was a hologram. Yeah. When they re- recorded the conversation, it looks like they left ten seconds here, five seconds here, just in case they wanted to respond to them and make it look like they're having a conversation. Yeah, most of the conversation starts off and runs as if they're having a conversation with each other. It's only until after, like Tilk says, I think I don't think he's really here or something, and then. The uh, hologram repeats or says something out of key, and um, you realise that, yeah, it's just a recording. You'd think the technology would allow a more interactive approach, you know. Well, that's what happens in Force Chariot when we eventually get there. It's actually for voicing it. That's basically was intended to meet humanity. Yeah. The Vikings, if they grew, you know, became old enough to solve these problems. It'd make more sense for the hologram just to stay blah, 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 concise, specific words. I mean, when he started running down the regulations, subsection, <laughs> it's, that's hilarious, that is. That's yeah. Intergalactic police force with its, its own little rule book. Yeah. Brilliant, that was. Yeah, you're back in the Senate. Yeah. You're back in the Galactic Senate again. Jafar getting little bucket books out, looking in to see what it meant. Oh, no, that, you're talking, you, or you think you're talking to a Gould or a system lord or a, 
a lesser one and you're going to sit there and spout rules at them and that comes off completely completely different like we know they sort of arrogant and they're the dominant power so their way goes and he's here's a big tall viking telling them that according to section eight that six yeah. dot one you're not supposed to be here it's like what yeah nothing like look we told you not to come here you were here now you're going to suffer yeah but we get the information if you want to leave uh, go to the hall of melnyar or however you pronounce it eventually when you tire of life there's basic sustenance in the cavern although water really yeah there's water <laughs> that's about it there's some yeah. funky looking moss but they don't really expect you to survive. They probably want you out the cavern as soon as possible. Mm. Whichever way you want to take it. Right then, we jump to what looks like some sort of quarry. <laughs> Just natural landscape of this planet. Yes, natural landscape. Yeah. <laughs> Hello, Vancouver. Yeah. Gerwin is taking Sam and Daniel to meet somebody that can help him. A woman called Kendra. We see her in the distance outside the small hut. There's a boy there, human. And it's not probably the uh, greatest first meeting ever. No, pulls out the healing device. Yes, and we see how tolerant Daniel and Sam are at times. Yeah. <laughs> now, I wonder if they just mistook it as not being the hand device, because they seen the glow from how far away they were, or if the fact that she was actually using it and thought she was a ghoul. Could be. Yeah, not, not, it's not really showing what the confusion was, what they were yelling no at. Yeah, it was just for the sake of drawing attention to themselves and giving an opening for Kendra to explain who and what she is a little later in the episode. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's it. He yells no and then just stands there. <laughs> Thank God he didn't shoot her. Yeah. Right, back to the cabin. We're near a small pool. Lots of very uh, suspicious-looking bones lying around <laughs> with teeth marks. Yeah. Still seems to take real delight in pointing out there are teeth marks on these bones. Yeah, eaten afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> so considering only Gawold and Jafar enter this cavern, we can assume that somebody or something has been chowing down on them. Mm. Yeah, and I just love that little gold skeleton prop. We see it a lot more in later, <laughs> yeah. later episodes. I don't know how, being so small and delicate, how he would survive this long, especially with body being eaten and trampled and everything else. You'd think it'd be quite a delicacy or something. It's a pity there weren't a nice full skull with some trace of gold burnt into its forehead. Yeah. And some like, I knew this one. Yeah. I recognise that emblem. That must have been the first prime of such and such. I fought him in battle when I was young. Well, and that's a that's a good thing. You're suggesting it was a Jafar, and that'd make the most sense, since that gets sent there from time to time to see if the planet was still protected. Yeah, the system lords aren't stupid. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for some reason I thought it was a gold. They'll send that on and like, well, who was it? There's no medallion or anything to show a symbol. Well, that was one of the odd things when we saw Poffus going to the Nox planet, actually going on the mission himself. Yeah. You wouldn't have thought he'd have been doing that on a regular basis. Gives his Jafar a job, off you go. You know, if they don't come back with what they want, they get executed. Whereas if the god goes himself and they still come back empty-handed, uh, you hmm. let me down still. <laughs> yeah. Bang. Yeah. And then, movement in the cavern. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're in for some fun and games. Oh, yeah, the foot reveal. Or something. Something with rather large talons. Yes. Right, back to Kendra. She tells Daniel and Sam and Gerwin of the labyrinth, place where she was deposited when she came through the gate. Ten seasons ago. Yeah. She was the host. I love how Daniel's trying to explain how the Jafar system works to her. Ex-Gold. 
Well, I should know exactly what the Jafar are and everything else, but he's there trying to uh, explain that Jafar are just warriors. And Well, yeah, you know, when she was joined, to her mindset, the Jafar, their status was as it had always been. Yeah. You know, they serve. It's, they probably don't even consider the fact that the Jafar, you know, they think so little of the Jafar, it doesn't even occur to them that they could have a choice. They were capable of even thinking about uprising or... Yeah, it's like on Deep Space Nine and the the Dominion, Jemadar. Mm-hmm. That's what they are. They were they were bred to be like this. They less likely to betray the founders as the founders were to be, betray betray themselves. This is how the Jafar are looked upon by the Gwold. Mm. It is probably very very rare there's ever any dissent amongst in, amongst the ranks. That's probably why Braytac has lived for so long. Probably be dealt with by the first Prime or another Jafar too. Before it even got to the next step. She does confirm though that Jack is fine. As long as he can get out of the labyrinth, he'll be able to walk out of the trap safe and sound. That's a bit of a dick to humans. They get a raw deal of it because then they're off wandering the mountains in winter. <laughs> Once they come out of the cave, it's not like comes out and there's an arrow here, follow this trail back to civilization. Or Yeah, the chances are if you're not a hunter in that region of the, the land, you won't know where the hell you are. Yeah. The very fact that she probably would have died if the people hadn't found her wandering in the wasteland, in, in the woodlands. Mm. She got pretty lucky. Yeah, but she did get back here and she's built one hell of a pad. Yes, she has. She's got a pretty good dressmaker. Gerwin, who seems to be one of the leaders of the community, has got rags on compared to what Kendra is wearing. And that's all saying, well, that's just the gold sort of flesh and pompets, but ten seasons, so you yes. expect maybe ten years. So. Can't be the same outfit. That's held up well. Yeah. Kendra is played by Galen Gorg. This is her only appearance in SG1, but she has been in DS9, Voyager, a couple of spells on Xena and Hercules as well. And she's troubled, you know, and she stands and look, looks up to the sky, thunder <laughs> rolls, and she goes, right. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't ask for this. <laughs> yeah. But then again, you think, okay, for all we know, it seems a pretty good coincidence for the thunder to be rolling just as she's looked up at the sky and kind of not screamed out, but begged for some sort of response, some sign. And the Valkyrie ride the wind. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's a mighty fine little line. Yep. But it's funny too, like, she's the only one really taking this, because we haven't seen anything from Gerwin yet, sort of reading the signs of the four and that. But now all of a sudden we got her, who was an Eggold, and now sort of dedicates her life to four and whatever the teachings, <laughs> the teachings of the Asgard are. But now she's starting to listen to the wind and signs, and they're going to sit here and did a little kumbaya around the fire in a minute. <laughs> First, we need to head back to the cave. Yes, we jump between the two locations quite often. Mm. We're in a room now, hacked out hall in the cavern, artificial light, inscriptions on the wall, symbols. Jack tells Tilt to try his weapon. The MP5 does work, though. Mm. Makes perfect sense. The Asgard are only expecting Gawal to be captured by the uh, hammer. Therefore, they yeah. are armed with energy weapons. Yeah, a little bit odd that it works again once they leave, though. You'd think it'd be disabled, that's it. Yeah, you'd have thought it'd been easier to drain the energy from whatever system the staff weapon uses rather than just dampen it. Well, it's put some sort of barrier between the energy source and the trigger mechanism, by the seems of it. Or better yet, simply filter out the weapon when they transported them into the cavern. Well, yeah, do the Terminator thing and no metal can get transported. Yeah. <laughs> Still could be holding his forehead. Ah, the pain. That's his big, round, red belt oh, on his forehead. 
That's, oh, it's not magnetic. It's not magnetic, so. Go on then. We'll go. We'll go with iron and ferrous metals, and then we, <laughs> your jewelry and other adornments are fine. Well, that was going to be the next thing too. Then all the jewelry gets to stay back at the Stargate, and the locals can have it. And they don't have it. <laughs> they don't have it with them when they die in the cave. But then defeats the whole gold and magnetic. <laughs> it, it does a bit, yeah. Right, we're back to Kendra, and as you said, the Rune Circle going to uh, petition the the gods to give a a more definite sign. You know, the Thunder's got her to sit down and talk. And that's what I was thinking when we cut back. I'm like, you just got the Thunder and the the Valkyrie saying, "Go help them find it," and now all of a sudden. No, I just want to sit down here and just get a second opinion. <laughs> yeah, you're only Valkyrie. You're not the gods. Yeah. You just give suggestions. Yeah. <laughs> and we learned that Kendra, as a young girl, was raised in a temple. As we know, the gold-like, young, pretty, beautiful host. She was taken. A gold inhabited her. And she found that there was part of her that survived. She thinks because of her more rigorous training within the temple. Yeah. Discipline of the mind. Meditating or something, yeah. Something like that, yeah. Either way, we learn that something of the host can survive. There is that little silver lining for Daniel. Mm. She points out that Ergold, she was ambitious, driven, and so she hinted, you know, just dropped little breadcrumbs. If forbidden, then something of great value must be there. <laughs> Waiting to be taken by somebody brave enough. It's just great having this little bit of backstory. Because we haven't really got it where we are in the series, just how other people were taken, or what their lives were before, and then in this sort of early signs of communication between Host and Gould, we'll get in later episodes. It sort of makes the episode stop, really, but it's good to get this sort of information out there. Yeah, it's definitely essential to the overall story, if not to this particular episode specifically. Right, we're back in the cavern. The creature, or whatever it is, is... They're doing the old shadow trick. Yeah, hear it, don't show it. Yeah, you go, oh, come on, they're not... Oh, they're not! <laughs> a bloody great big creature, or man in a creature suit, slowly closing on Tilk and Jack. Well known, man. We don't hear the voice yet, do we? No, not yet. The, the guy in the suit is Vincent Hammond. Worked on three episodes of SG-1. Also appeared in Enterprise and Beowulf. And worked on the movie Iron Man as props maker. Okay. As you say, the do we hear his voice in this scene? I can't remember. Jackie is a splash, which I thought that's interesting. Jack heard and Tilk didn't. And then they go over the wall and water will erode the walls and we'll be out of here in a couple hundred years. And then they turn to the reveal. Then the, the Unus does talk. Yeah. Identified as uh, one of the first ones. Weapons are of no use here. Basically, I think already by this point, Jack has handed Tilk his 9mm. Kill shots, please, Jack. You're better than this. Both shooting from the hip. Jack is very casual when it comes to automatic weapons fight. You've got the feeling that somebody who, who's had Black Ops experience, one shot, one kill, is rather important. Yeah. You know, if you start spraying around automatic weapons fire, the mission's gone bad. Yeah. At this point, you can sort of understand Rodeo just wants to see what happens, but if you annoyed this thing, <laughs> you want to bring it down quickly. Uh, it was just great to hear in James Earl Jones' voice in something, and it's not really trying to be, like, it's sort of unique. He sort of adds a bit of a growl to it as well. It is excellent casting. Mm. Unexpected. Yes, very much so, because you associate him so much with Star Wars, more so than his you know, his actual acting career, is that role has pretty much dominated, will dominate his legacy, up to the point that they still use his voice in Rogue One when perhaps they should have, well, at least done a little more <laughs> post-processing work on it. Yeah. Last weekend I was sitting here and I 
the hunt for Red October come on. Yeah. I heard it before I seen him. I go, oh, no. <laughs> I know that voice. Just said, yeah, the same thing as you said, sort of not really knowing his actual acting, only knowing him as Darth Vader and Mufasa and voiceover in Drudge Dread. <laughs> he was in Coming to America as well, wasn't he? I haven't seen it. Was he the king in that? Remember, yeah, I remember him being an African, like a tribe's king or something. With Eddie Murphy. Actually, yeah, it's bringing up memories now. I have seen it, but it's been a long time. I remember what it was. I'm looking through IMDb and going back the years and thinking, surely it wasn't uh, that old. <laughs> surely, uh, <it'd> be... <laughs> surely it couldn't be that old. <laughs> I was going to say, it'd take you about two months to get down that then, wouldn't it? Pretty active in the 90s. Uh, oh, my God, 1988. <laughs> Jesus Christ. How old am I? <laughs> That only seems like, you know, something like 20 years ago, but no, no, a little bit longer than that. You didn't say you seen in the theatres, so that would make <laughs> that would make you old. He played King Jaffa Jafar. <laughs> oh, that's close. That is close. Well. J-A-F-F-E. Oh, nice. <laughs> there you go. That's what I got him back. Right then. So the Unus is down. Obviously, he's dead because they've just emptied uh, half a magazine into his torso. Job done. Off the guys go. We go to a, a travelling montage, very basic montage, nice piece of music. We see some of the planet, some of the top of the quarry, edge of the quarry, bottom of the quarry. <laughs> <laughs> but day becomes night, so they've pretty much been there for a full day now. Yeah. I think that, that scene was basically just to uh, pass a bit of time. It doesn't really... There are easier ways to point out this cabin is a long way from the settlement. Yeah. I mean, they've already told us they found a walking in the wastelands. Hmm. Right, we're back uh, in the cabin. Till definitely seems a bit jumpy. <laughs> very, very jumpy. He's, in fact, they have a whole conversation. So, he's dead, is he? Uh, yeah, I believe so. You believe so? I am... I'm certain of it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they are regenerative, though. Oh! Yeah. <laughs> yes, just like just like your vampire. Yeah. Um, should be vampire. <laughs> the boys are in trouble. Yeah. Jack doesn't want to hear that myth. It should have been obvious that they could regenerate. Well, Tilk checked the pulse, which, okay, fair enough, but have we seen at this point where he can also detect symbiote? Later episodes, he can sense a presence or something, can't he? Yes, was... yeah. Yeah. Logically, you would assume this isn't a, a native Unus, otherwise it wouldn't have been got trapped, been able yeah. to walk out. So yeah. obviously it has a symbiote, or it is a fully-fledged gual. Yep. At the very least, if you're going to down one of them, you kill the symbiote. When the Jafardu battle... If you want to make sure, you shoot them in the pouch or you just put your fist in and pull it out, then hold it up and let the CGI guys do a five-second bit of <laughs> animation, then stamp on it. Just leaving it there, that was stupid. But yeah. works with the episode because we get the added the added incentive to stay ahead of this Unas, which is now all better because we saw the bullets and the wounds healing. And the eyes glowed. Yes. He's not going to be happy, and like most Mugwold, if they're using this amount of energy, in fact, a lot like the Wraith, when you come to think about it, they probably need to feed now. <laughs> if he wasn't hungry already. Kendra and Sam and Daniel. Sam is being a little sharp. She doesn't believe Kendra knows where she's going. She's a little overly upset, the fact that Jack is missing. Maybe. I've got it to note, too. I don't know, bears or large carnivores in the mountains. I think that was probably from when she was wandering around. Well, that's one thing Daniel says. When she was found, it was midwinter, so oh, yeah. know, the landscape had looked totally yep. different anyway. I think at the time when we covered this on the gatecast, I said, I do like that waterway. That is such a unique feature. 
that's definitely a note here. I couldn't find the location or what exactly it was. Oh, that's here as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking, what purpose does it serve? Yeah, yeah, because you've got these nicely built concrete viaducts here that even though when we see the reverse shot, there's clearly a matte painting to extend them a hell of a lot longer than what they go for. But you know, we've got similar stuff here that just sort of redirects the stream because how switching yard was built below it. Not as elaborate as this, it's just a trench. It looks like something would be fantastic for panning for gold. Yeah, because then it's got the steel trackways yeah. on top as well, like something travels up and down it. It looks weird, it looks alien. Fantastic place to shoot. Yeah. It conveys the fact that they're going in up and, you know, they're following the water course, which makes sense, you know. Daniel pretty much sticks up for Kendra, so Sam tags along. Really, I don't know what options she's got. This is the only possibility of actually finding Jack and Tilk. Yeah, and what, he's, what Daniel says makes sense too. Like, when the hunters found her, they wouldn't have cut their hunt short and just gone straight back to the camps. They would have sort of hunted on the way back and followed game and that, so... Yeah, they'd probably have traps left and all sorts. Yeah. Right, we're back into the cabin. Uh, this is where we see the bullet ooze itself out of uh, the wound on the Eunice. Let's out a huge roar which echoes <laughs> throughout the cabin. That's no myth. <laughs> yeah. That's a bit that's a bit better than no as well. <laughs> they realise their mistake. Very, very, very bad decision by uh, the pair of them. But like we say, it's got to be this way, this story to work. Yeah, yeah. If they cut the Unas down straight away, you wouldn't get the big finale, and that's where everything pays off. And, of course, the Unas do sit well within the Gwold mythology. Yeah, the Unas species, I suppose. We finally get to Cliff Face. Up on the smooth rock wall, we see the shape of a hammer and a small cave. This is what they've been looking for. This is where Kendra exited the cavern system. Well, hey, Sam, does she apologise? Does she look relieved? (laughs) Not really. No. No. To be fair, though, Daniel, do- Daniel doesn't look smug. Yeah, I love how now she sort of brings up the information about that there was something else in the caves with her. Yeah. <laughs> There's lots of tunnels, lots of rooms, and there was something alive in the cave. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> you didn't stick around. No way I didn't. <laughs> no. And, of course, she really doesn't want to enter this cave. It's perfectly understandable. There is nothing good in those caves. But then, dramatic roll of thunder again. <laughs> Excellent timing. Thank you, Thor. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) We're inside the cavern. They get to the hall. Some sort of stone archway leading off into the distance, the tunnel behind it. This is obviously Thor's hammer. Jack goes through. Tilt can't. Jack run back and push him out of the way. It really grabbed a hold of... I'm surprised Jack was that cavalier, to be honest. Yeah. If Daniel was with him, they'd probably spent an hour just looking at any of the... uh, the rune, see, seeing if there are any instructions, any warnings. A power button. Yeah, something like that. But Jack's eager. He goes through. Come on then, Tilt, let's go. Why? It was obvious Tilt was not going to be able to get through. This was the whole point. Yeah, you can't get past the threshold. It does hurt Tilt. If he'd have stayed in the energy beam, would it have killed the symbiote before Tilt actually collapsed himself? I assume you've got to stay in there for a certain length of time for it to kill the symbiote, then walk out. So, as long as you're not stupid... There's that whole thing saying with the beam taking so long to scan, like, you sit there and cry out for five minutes before someone knocks the other way and it still hasn't done any permanent damage. <laughs> yeah, when Till gets fully immersed in it, it holds him there, so... Yeah. Maybe it's automatic. It's automatically scanning him and only release him when the symbiote is dead. The fact that the interference appeared from outside the cavern was the bit that allowed him to escape. 
maybe somebody could have pulled Till back in, but I think that might have been counterproductive. Yeah. We'll never know, really. Either way, the Unis is on the way. They haven't got much ammo. I've got it Shakespeare. He, um, you get a little bit British in his pronunciation when he's talking. This is the problem with waiting a day before we record. <laughs> he just, I can't remember what he says now. He says something that sort of has that sort of English inflection on it. I don't know. But um, it's a nice light show, and he's definitely doing a great job with the voice. He's just being dark and menacing. I like the line where he said to Tilk, let's feast on him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, plenty of meat on those bones. And you imagine that this Unas has done that many, many, many times over the centuries. Two or three Jeff R come in, split them off, howled up to one of them. Because I'm pretty sure that he is that old, he's that strong, without energy weapons. No lone Jeff R or even multiple Jeff R would take him down. No, or even here where they sort of make the plan up pretty quickly to get him in the way of the barrier and shoot at him, run out of ammo and tilt charges him and tries to push him into the barrier. <laughs> and alas, all he needs to do is hold his arms out to stop himself from crossing the threshold. But yeah, Tilk versus Unus, I dare say the Unus would win that one. Oh yeah, very definitely. But as you said, he probably hasn't eaten in a while. Yeah, he probably used a lot of energy to heal himself, but musculature and experience tells for a lot. Tilk probably is not 100% either. His symbion's probably still covering. Any Miss Brunch. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the Wandering Trio finally read a dead end. But look, I remember this. And she bits out this password, which is ridiculous. It's exactly the same as earlier when she's using the hand device. She sits there and holds over the kid's arm and starts spouting out some magical mumbo-jumbo. <laughs> yeah. As, as, it, as if she's... At work. Yeah. Not realising it, no, you just think about it, close your eyes and open sesame. <laughs> It'd be funny, isn't it? All you had to do was touch that discoloured brick there. Yeah. And it opens up. That's all you need. But no, it came out with... I didn't even bother writing it down, because I'm pretty much sure I'm never going to repeat it. Oh, the parent of the stream and the little wind in the trees or something. <laughs> yeah. This door can be opened from the outside too, like it sort of fingered let intruders or saboteurs in if Jafar wanted to get in and rescue their god. I suppose they wouldn't know about it anyway. No, probably not. But I love how love how they're fighting, getting while weapons firing at them through the uh, or past the units at the wall behind him. It's sort of convenient they run out of ammo before they get the door open. Would have been rather ironic if Kendra got shot. <laughs> <laughs> and she's lying there in a pool of blood. I told you it was dangerous. Yep. As you say, Tilt holds the Unus, the energy beam, just long enough for it to kind of grab hold of him itself. Taking you with me. Yep. The unit is pretty much being, not physically torn apart, but his, his insides are probably getting pretty much mangled. The symbiote, the energy field lets it go. It just clumps down. It's dead. It's, mm-hmm. it's very dead. And then we get the hallmark moment. <laughs> Daniel, Kendra and Sam turn up. Well, hey, everybody's saved. Come on, let's go. Until she's just standing there. Violin's playing in the background, a tear rolling <laughs> down his cheek. And he's already decided, you know, he thought ahead. I will remain here, you know. He's the only one that has. Yeah. This whole time, Daniel's been, oh, my wife's great, my wife's strong, we can get her out, we can do this, do that. How great's it going to be being able to bring my wife here? <laughs> I asked Kendra, I would have told him to shut up about your wife, but... Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's here like, come on, let's go, let's go find him, let's go find him, let's go find him, and Jack's like, we can't go. It wouldn't have been amazing, <laughs> and Daniel goes... He'll be all right. <laughs> we'll bring you we'll some bring food. We'll, we'll, yeah. yeah, we'll set up an alpha base here or something, you know. Yeah. No worries. You know, we'll, we'll begin with sleeping bag. He'll be fine. And in a couple of years, when I found my wife and brought her here, we'll all go home. 
Uh, you could have had the the Unis joke here too. Are you sure it's the last one? Unis one. <laughs> I'm sure there's nothing else left in the cave to hurt you. No, of course not. As Daniel says, I mean, Jack actually hands in the weapon. You've got to do it. And that's interesting. I mean, yeah. it's got to be Daniel's decision. This is something so big. Jack doesn't feel he has the right to make the decision. Mm. I wonder if Daniel refused. What would have happened? Captain, you're fired up. <laughs> yes. Daniel, you are a civilian. Yeah. It would have been interesting because as we know him, he would have stayed. It had been a good way for the show to write the character out for a year or something. <laughs> He comes back and he's got a beard. Yes. <laughs> Explain that daft piece of air he had on his chin. Yeah, well, that was a couple of weeks. This time it's a couple of yeah. months, so... <laughs> he looks like Robinson Crusoe or something. Yeah, I was going to say Tom Hanks from Castaway, but... Yeah, he's got the biggest afro. <laughs> <laughs> but no, he shoots it, and... Um, yep. Lucky it didn't uh, overload the feedback loop and explode or something. <laughs> there's got to be a power source there somewhere. Yeah. That could have been very risky. And again, Daniel could have spent a couple of hours looking at the room, seeing if there was anything there he could have learned that could have helped. Well, especially being on the outside of the past the threshold, there yeah. might have been a way to turn it off. Oh, it would have been hilarious if he'd have figured it out after the fact. Oh. <laughs> Oops. Yep. They do, however, seal the cave shut just in case any uh, Jafar get transported in there at some future point. Broken the hammer now. You wonder if there's an automated... Uh, Helpline for the hammer is down, hammer is down. You wonder if it's connected to the obelisk too. They rely on this to protect the planet and the threat of this planet from orbital incursion. There'd have to be a way just to warn the Asgard if there was something uh, dodgy going on. Yeah. We'll find out maybe uh, in not too distant future. Well, I just love it too. Like, yeah, the triumphant music's playing, Tilk saves, but then you've just gone and condemned this world to invasion. <laughs> And Jack says, look, they won't visit you. They're too scared. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Where have we... Ever stopped any wars, ever. Yep. <laughs> yep. Oh, you come back from America with the plague? Oh, that's all right. We'll send more ships. We'll, <laughs> we'll get that continent. Last thing we do. So a uh, pilgrim is dying every hundred yards. Uh, we've yep. got more at home. Yeah. Daniel suddenly remembers his Sagan box. <laughs> and thunder rolls again. Thor is pleased. <laughs> And uh, Jack just Jack just rolls his eyes, or until yeah, it rains. Yeah. <laughs> but you also get, oh, I would love you to give this to Thor too. I'm like, no, you just gave it to me. Yeah, this they, is got to pass it on. <laughs> I can trade this for a new outfit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Those dresses Kendra wears, they, they cost a fortune. Mm. <laughs> and that was Thor's hammer. Ah, oh, very enjoyable. That's a good episode. As we said, it lays down some of the backstory, some of the mythology, a lot of it will be expanded upon in the episodes and seasons that follow in some directions that we haven't envisioned as of yet. Mm-hmm. Great trekking around the Vancouver world, isn't it? <laughs> yes. Thoroughly enjoyable episode. Great. This episode was directed by Brad Turner, one of the semi-regular directors in the early years. He eventually did 14 episodes of SG-1 and Atlantis. This episode was written by Catherine Powers. She wrote eight episodes, also wrote for Deep Space Nine and The Next Generation. Interesting crossovers there between Star Trek, Stargate, Star Wars and Stargate. <laughs> always nice to see. That's it for this week. Brad, as always, thank you very much for joining me. Uh, my pleasure, Mike. Thanks for the invite. Give me a quick rundown of your Jurassic Park podcast and your <sighs> Transformers Club. Yes, the Lost World Minute. We're doing a minute-by-minute podcast for uh, the sequel Jurassic Park. So steaming along there nicely. 
that's the Lost World Minute on Facebook. And just uh, the second Transformers podcast, the club, so Transformers CCA is where all that's happening on the internet. <laughs> oh, you're making a rod for your own back. You know that, don't you? Oh, uh, the editing. <laughs> okay, then, folks, as I said, first off, I'd love to hear from you. If you'd love to get a few more guests on the show, if you're interested, just drop me a line. The Stargate Archives can be contacted on email, stargatearchives at gmail.com. Our website is stargatearchives.com. We are on Twitter at The Gatecast, and we are on Facebook and Google Plus. Search for Gatecast or just a general search for Stargate. We are, of course, on iTunes. Quick search for Stargate Archives. Ratings and reviews would be most welcome. Tell us what you think. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you, Brad. I'm pretty sure we will be hearing from you again at some point. I'd hope so. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. Until then, I've been Mike. I've been Brad. Take care. Bye-bye. Goodbye.